The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into uh, part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, joining me for today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits, our roundtable regulars include Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Welcome back, Paul. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back. Thank you. And last but not least, uh, joining us for this week's edition of Armchair Politics and a uh, frequent visitor is uh, East Village Magazine consulting editor Jan Worth Nelson. Jan, welcome back. Thank you. I just want to say I just I really love you guys. I really love your thoughtfulness and and your clear thinking and everything. It's just. It's really great to be with you again today. Thank you, Dan. It's always great to have you here. Uh, no, no, yeah, great. I'm, I'm stuck for words, and it's a talk show. <laughs> um, but Dan does make us better. She gives us the credit, but she makes us better. Well, you guys, you all, you know, it's such a weird week to me. Um, I feel emotional, This very emotional this week. I'm an emotional person to start with, but there's just so much going on, and just Having the clarity of your voices, uh, knowing how you know how much you care about democracy and uh, and all that is just really reassuring and comforting right now. So thank you to all three of you guys. Well, nicely thank said, you. Jan, and thank you for that. Um, but let's let's move on. A state commission considering a permit for a uh, controversial tunnel project to house a new section of the Line Five pipeline under the Straits of Mackinac will not look at the potential impacts the proposed project could have on climate change. Administrative Law Judge Dennis Mack issued a ruling limiting what the Commission can consider on October 23rd. The uh, Michigan Public Service Commission is considering whether Enbridge has property rights for installation, operation, and maintenance of the replacement pipe segment. The Canadian Energy Transportation Company filed a motion to limit the scope of what the Commission could consider. 
much to the chagrin of environmental <coughs> groups. Opponents of the plan to house a new section of the line in a multi-use tunnel and bury it under the bedrock of the straits argued that the potential environmental impacts should be considered when the MPSC decides whether to grant a permit. The question is simply, should environmental impact be part of the permit granting process? Huh. Well, I, I think you always, because uh, environmental impact protects the public. That's a public concern. Right. <clears throat> For everything from structure and stuff like that. And it also gives us the, the uh, audacity to pursue options that could save us from a disaster in the Great Lakes that would kill the fish and the water and so on and so forth. So we have to be certain that things are in order and we have backup systems that can quickly remove the discharge. Yeah, what's wrong with saying, we'll we'll give you a grant, but prove that you're not going to hurt people? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, I was was wondering, isn't isn't the environmental impact somewhat, somewhat separate from climate change? I mean, they overlap. But I mean, the environmental impact yes. is going to be very immediate. If there's, a, if there's a, a broken pipeline, it'll immediately impact the environment. What that does to the overall climate may be much longer term and more hard, more difficult to determine. But I mean, I see those as somewhat separate issues. Um, I, I do, but, I do as well. Yeah. <clears throat> One is a long term. Uh, climate change yes. is long term. Oh, uh, sorry. Long term climate change. Yeah. What they will do, and the release of petroleum into the Great Lakes, uh, it has both an immediate impact immediate and a long-term impact, impact. Yeah, yeah. We seem to have trouble with the long-term issues. It's like if we don't experience some kind of problem with it immediately, it's so much easier to deny that it's <laughs> there. I feel like the human yeah. race grow up. It's like the human race is like stuck in... Uh, well, the whole human race needs to mature a little bit more about about stuff like that. But these long term consequences that are out there are <laughs> are serious, and we haven't learned how to prepare for. Uh, again, here I go making one of my big philosophical comments. But um, well, Jan, you're right. It may, it may be kind of a, the element of democracy. We know we don't look any further than the next election. You know, if you're an elected official, well, you worry about two years or four years down the road, and that's about it. Uh, that what is a great. Fifty years from now may not may not matter all that much. What unfortunately. is? Yeah, what does I, it take I want to, to follow up on what. Go ahead. Go ahead, Henry. I want to follow up what Jan <clears throat> is concerned about. We we may not be too much concerned about that because we were age out of the. Uh, we will age out of our process of change in 40,000 years, we will, <laughs> we will grow into something else. That uh-huh. would be about, I forgot how many generations. Yeah, but there are climate but scientists I, saying that bad things are going to happen like next Tuesday. Yeah. Not because of well, the election, <laughs> but just because climate change is happening yeah. that fast. But, but that's kind of interesting. Uh, Long term is, uh, yes, 40,000 years. Yeah. We yeah. will have aged out, and we may become something else, a robot uh, or something. Yeah. yeah. But the I whole would, process of mutation has a, has a limiting age factor to it. Well, an astronomer friend of mine <laughs> once told me, he said, 
the earth's going to be fine. He said, people, right. not so much. Right. <laughs> people may be gone, but the earth will come back just right. fine. Anyway, uh, Joe Biden did a better job in the final debate on Thursday, according to a CNN instant poll of debate watchers. Overall, 53% of voters who watched the debate said that Biden won the matchup, while 39% said that President Donald Trump did. Do you think that CNN was polling CNN viewers? (laughs) And how do you think the candidates did in their final debate? Oh God! I found both of these. Yeah, it's probably my own partisan bias, but I mean, I thought I thought Biden had to prove that he was competent, and he'd done that. He, the the real worry I think there was that Biden might make a you know a fatal mistake, and he did not do that. It was uh, certainly a far more. He came close on fracking. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. That didn't do him any Well, that's true. And guys, I have said this since we've been on the show that Joe Biden shows signs of great intelligence and for undermining this guy. And so you can't, how are you going to beat someone if you undermine them? You got to see his strengths, his weaknesses, his opportunities, and you know, his faults and all of that stuff. You got to look for the good things and not debate just the bad thing. Biden, I thought looked good. And I did not expect for a complete blowout. I wanted to see a debate that was balanced and brought right ideas to the table so that we can reconsider them, decide how to vote. That's what I was yeah. hoping for. Not a blowout. Did you get it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, compared to the first yes. debate, I mean, compared to that, that food fight in the first debate, this was much more civilized. But even then, yes. there's still some talking points. Well, and the dueling, uh, the dueling town hall meetings was a little bit silly. That was silly. <laughs> that was silly. Yeah, I, I can't help it. I just think here are people, you know, that are vying for the top office in the land, leader of the free world. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to do your town hall. I'm going to have my own. And, yeah. you know, it was it was just silly. Yeah, I agree. I you know, I must say um, Biden makes me nervous. Uh, I thought that the debate that the debate he made me nervous, the, his delivery is a little bit um, scary to me because I'm never sure if he's going to get to the end of his sentences. Oh, come on. But I must... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he did a great job. He was speaking to the base that he wanted to get to. Right, right. No, I mean... Basically... Looked better since uh, then. Yeah. On the the, uh, clips that people have pulled out, it's, it's more impressive to me. And I would also say that the speeches he's been making the last couple of days have been really dynamic and yeah. clear and uh, powerful, I think. Um, but and guys, I, this is... Go ahead, please. I'm just going to say, I thought, I thought the debate was just... Even the second one was excruciating because I, I can't get over my strong feeling that Trump is a jerk and I can't stand the way he presents himself. <laughs> now, I was just going to say, Jan, that I, I actually was, um, I, I don't know if I'd call it pleasantly surprised, but certainly surprised to see how well-behaved the president was this time around. Yes, he was. Um, compared to the, 
Yeah. Well, I, I think his advisors told him after that first debate, they just uh, yeah. they got the mute button there and be careful. But he really kind of toned down the smirking, and I mean, there yeah. was still some of that. You could tell it was still Donald Trump, and he wasn't buying anything that uh, Joe Biden said. But I really expected him to throw kind of a fit over the muted mics and walk out. He didn't, did he? No, he didn't. Yeah. I really expected yeah. that. In fact, that's one of those predictions that I make, you know, every so often that just never seem to come true. I'm terrible at predicting these things. But I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised that he, he really did tone it down. And, uh, you know, I always watch these things, Jan, with this feeling that I'm waiting for the candidates to answer a question they were asked. Right, good point. That and didn't happen that much. It was, yeah. but but that night was better. Yes, it was. Yeah, well, compared to the first night, and and compared to the uh, the dueling uh, town halls, that's true. Yeah, but they go back to uh, debate or English or speech one oh one. What they say? Well, you have about four things to say <laughs> that you really want to say, and have yeah. those in your mind. You might address a little bit of that question but go to the things that you really want people to hear and i thought they were doing that uh-huh you know very well one, one question I have, they were does trained. anybody know does anybody know how many viewers there were for the the final debate compared to the first one because usually there's a drop-off but i haven't seen any 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 numbers on that because typically the last debate has a fairly smaller number of viewers i i, I haven't seen that, that. i haven't seen I, that either I, yeah but I, I suspect because um, right here. they carried it. Go ahead. Trump debate drops to $63 million. Um, it, it, it drew 10 million fewer viewers than their first meeting. Okay. According to AP. I have to admit to another little guilty pleasure, and that was that as I was sitting through the debate, I, I was really hoping to see some more of the chaos from the first debate. And that's purely from, you know, a rubbernecker kind of point of view. <laughs> I, no, I, 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 I had the same reaction for a while. I was, I was you know, you, it was kind of like watching a race looking for car crashes. And <laughs> I was waiting for the car crash. It was like two <laughs> yeah, wrestlers was, circling the outside of the ring, you know. Right. <laughs> It's like watching ice skating in the Olympics. It's like <laughs> there's going to be somebody that's going to fall here. Right, so, right. Yeah, ooh. Yeah, so what did you think about this 50 minutes behavior? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, strange show there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was strange the way they put it together because my impression of it was that they had enough information to put together a good show. They wanted to make more out of the walkout than the conversations they had. Yeah. And I'm bothered by that. You know, whenever it's more form than substance, I'm I'm troubled by that. But it was still right. very unusual for a, for a candidate like that to walk out in that fashion. Yeah, but I think um, what he said is is worthy of note and underscore. He said, I think we have enough. Hmm. <laughs> And and I think maybe they did have enough. And he was clearly frustrated, and he was walking out, you know, somewhat in anger. But, you know, he said, I think you've got enough. And, you know, I don't have to put up with this anymore. 
Well, and, he's rude. Oh, well, he's I like, I agree with that. Hey, hey, and um, and I don't mean to be rude, but we do need to take a short break. So, we will be back <laughs> with more armchair politics right after this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsi than flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone. And Genesee Health Plan can help. I called and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, healthcare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together and together we'll get through it. The Tom Sumner Program.com. State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our uh, weekly roundtable armchair politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine. And uh, Democrats continue to maintain their lead over Republicans in pre-election day ballots cast in the battleground states of North Carolina and Florida. But the gap is narrowing as in-person early voting ramps up. In North Carolina, the margin between Democrats and Republicans who have already cast their ballot has been cut in half since last Monday, according to the most recent party data from Catalyst, a company that provides data, analytics, and other services to Democrats, academics, and nonprofit issue advocacy organizations. Who wins the turnout effort? Um... Historically, it's been Democrats, but has COVID changed that? It may I, have. I mean, uh, go ahead, Jen. I I think the Democrats are still going to take that. I think uh, I think that the um, energy to against Trump is huge, and I think that will overcome it. But I could be wrong. I <laughs> I, I think the reality is that those polls that show Biden ahead by. 10 points or so are certainly going to narrow. And, right. And, I, and we're probably going to see a, a surge of Republican votes uh, in person on Election Day. But as I say, we've had, what, set almost 60, 70 million folks vote already. I believe is the number I heard this morning uh, and keeps climbing. I heard 63 million. But, yeah, uh, it's, 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 yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Boy, that's half of... The number that voted in 2016 wasn't it like 132 million. That's that right. Voted in- That's right. Yeah. And we're a week wow. away from, uh, you know, the the first Tuesday after the first Monday, and uh, you know we're we're already half the ballots cast. Numerically, yeah, are it's, there, a, it's amazing. Numerically, are there are there fewer Republicans than Democrats? Does anybody know? If you take a look uh, at in most polls, yeah, there it's yeah. What, what the way it generally works is there are there are more Democrats, but Republicans tend to turn yes. out at a higher rate, which makes things more yes. competitive. That's been the, the overall last time I for the last several decades. Thirty-three uh, percent Republicans and and forty, I think forty-three percent Democrats, and the rest are undecided. Huh. So if everybody showed up, basically the Democrats would have an edge, a slight yes. uh, numeric. Right. Mm-hmm. But what the efforts that they've made <clears throat> to get early voting and target uh, Hispanics and, and blacks, I think that they've built a big margin uh, uh-huh. inside uh, the delegation for the Democrats. <clears throat> yeah. 
Yeah. In a way, then, that argues against um, voter suppression efforts by the Republicans. You know, if they need every one of their voters to get out um, in a competitive situation, it seems like some of the voter suppression stuff that's happening doesn't necessarily serve them well. Maybe voter yeah, suppression is yeah. towards the Democratic <laughs> constituency. There have been a couple of examples where, they, where the voter suppression laws ha- actually had a reverse effect that in response to those attempts to suppress the vote, people turned out at a higher than normal rate. That was true, I yeah. think, in the Carolinas in uh, 16 and maybe 12, uh, where there was actually a higher than expected rate of, of Democratic voters in, in response to attempts to suppress the vote. Uh-huh. I, that seems to be well, happening, doesn't it? I, I think so. I mean, it may well be. We'll see how it plays out in the long run, but it may well be the case. But I, I know that there was voter suppression a long time ago, but I'm not so sure of voter suppression out there. If people don't want to get out and vote. And I think we're, every, where we're going to uh, run into problems are going to be on technical glitches, the post office delivering slow, and... Um, yeah. You know, well, that's not, not being the voters' able, fault. You know. No, it's not the voters' fault, yeah. and uh, and it's not the fault of the the local clerks or uh, the right. secretaries of state. You know, it's 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 a breakdown in the system, which is why people probably, if they have an absentee ballot this late in the game, with just under a week to go, should probably be delivering those things to their city township county clerks and um, you know make sure that they get there before the cutoff on election day right but you know I've never been afraid of uh, voter suppression uh, because when Woodrow Stanley was uh, mayor and he was also the chairman of the Democrat party which was ugly but we decided when he claimed that there was voter suppression, we went to the journal, at least I did, and had the journal become engaged. And if I detected any kind of voter suppression, I would report that, and we would have to go back to the party and find out what's going on. They had to come up with a statement of some kind, some evidence, some proof that they never did. Uh, You know, and that voter suppression might go on and bigger cities a lot more than in a small town like Flint. Uh, and you could get away with it. But it, here, we don't have to worry so much about voter suppression. But I, I think you know, that with the suspicion there is about the whole elective process this year, that, I mean, there's going to be mistakes. When, and when you have 150 yeah. million voters potentially and you know thousands of local jurisdictions doing it, Somebody's going to make a mistake here and there. It's just going to, it happens every year to some degree. But I think this year those are going to be pumped up to be, be seen as a, as a plot or a conspiracy of some kind. And the suspicion is just so much greater this year than most years. Uh, but we've got to accept the... Be seen differently. Well, we'll get back to we this. We've got to accept the outcome of the election process. We must be prepared to accept yeah, that. Absolutely. Period. We'll yeah. get back to this in a minute or two. Um, Let's see. Uh, 
Polling data and high levels of voter engagement indicate 2020 may bring out a wave of young voters, experts say. There are a number of things that tell me it will be a high turnout year. Key Kawashima Ginsburg, the director of the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement, or CIRCLE, told CNN a pre-election analysis from CIRCLE found that there are 6.8 million more young people with a history of voting in 2020 than there were in 2016, which means they voted in the 2018 election. Who do you think will benefit from an increased number of young voters? Democrats. Yeah. <clears throat> if you look at Is the college still campuses, you, yeah, yeah, it's going to. And if you listen to kids who are in schools, they favor the Democrats. Mm-hmm. I think Because yeah. so I too. get this opportunity to, uh, to understand it. To, Hear it. It's interesting to me that even some of the evangelical kids apparently um, depart from their parents culturally on some of the cultural issues, that, that even some of the evangelical kids are more open to things like gay marriage, I guess, and from yeah, what I'm hearing. Good point. I mean, I mean they, they may be, they may not, I mean, they may agree with some of the other things, but... Um, so even even some of the conservative kids are leaning Democratic. Or, or, I mean, even some kids, I should say, are leaning Democratic. So. Well, Jen, you're breaking up just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but let's let's uh, get back to what we were talking about, the doomsday scenario of lawyers and judges setting surprise terms for voting or even deciding the election this year has loomed large. Uh, yet that <laughs> likelihood is uh, diminishing by the day, several election law experts say, with the terms for voting already essentially set in many states and a calm coming over the, ca- the courts in pre-election day litigation. The focus on courts has been extreme at times this year, especially with President Donald Trump pushing for the confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court in case the election must, might, must be decided there. But that outsized attention on courts may be misplaced. The discourse feels like lawyers and courts are deciding the election and not voters. I don't think that's true, said Justin Levitt, an elections law specialist at Loyola Law School. There's a feeling of anxiety in 2020 that has translated to an anxiety about the degree to which lawyers and courts will be controlling the election. Welcome to 2020. Anxiety level is high, period. Um, but that being said, how much of a role do you think courts will play in the outcome of the 2020 presidential election? Depending on the margin of victory. Yeah. yeah. If the margin of victory is very narrow, they're going to play every ounce of their ability to do that. Otherwise, if it's widespread, no problem. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. if there's a large and, gap. And I would add, I, would add I, I hope that's the case one way or the other, because I, yeah. I think you're right. If it's very close, we're going to see challenges in states about, you know, how you counted the ballots, whether they came in on time, or some other details. And particularly with the, with the, the new Supreme Court, that could be a very explosive kind of issue uh, for, for the, the, the current court, as it's now situated, to deal with. And, yeah. Go ahead, Jan. Not me. I was. I'm. I think I'm the, just listening right now. I, I think the well, um, 
the the television outlets uh, and and the cable television news networks I think at least at least one or more of them is uh, they're gonna try to call it election night like they always do <laughs> Based on exit. One, huh? oh yeah, and that's it. You're exactly right, Henry. I think that one or more <laughs> of the stations is headed for a Dewey defeats Truman moment. Oh. You know what? What bothers me about this whole process, and we're uh, watching it all unfold and saying nothing. We've seen politics undermine the value of electronic communications. They have debated it over and over. There's nothing wrong with it. It works well. Businesses use it all the time. Schools use it all the time to protect records and so on and so forth. Kids' records, their identity and so on and so forth. But yet, in the politics, it's the same system. And we say, oh, throw that out. We don't want it anymore. But uh, we got to make sure that we support the electronic uh, transmission of that because that's the future. It will. We will never go back to anything else. That's going to eventually evolve to be the way we do things. There's no other way with population growth. Do you think we'll uh, we'll end up voting online? I don't know, but uh, I, I think we that will. Could be. I think that other countries are doing it. I think we're only ten or twenty years, if that, away from actually casting our votes online. Oh, I think you're right. And if you think about it, we do so many other things that we that really are fairly secure. We pay bills, we exchange other communications online. It, I mean, it's got its risks. I suppose everything does, but I think we're going that direction. However, having we said that... We get our medical well, directions. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, th I think you're right, Henry. We're, we're going that way. Having we need said to get that, over though, this. I, I, I've always... I, I'm coming to the point where I'm starting... I, I really am starting to like the mail-in voting... Because you do have a paper record, and you do have time to consider and study up on the ballot. I, I, when I, when this first arose this past year, I was, you know, not too enthused about absentee voting. I hadn't done it much before, in fact, at all before. But all of a sudden, it's there. I see some real advantages to that, not only in terms of increasing turnout, but just in terms of having a more informed electorate. Yeah, and people can't in electronic transfer of data. People can't engage, can't interfere. If the system is well protected, yeah. we don't yeah. go in and pull out this or that, or we don't change numbers and stuff like that. That's a very secure system when it's uh, when it's run well and got the, yeah, we, we, the right we do, kind of We do banking, backup. we buy and sell stocks, we do all kinds of yeah. things online now. And it, as far as I know, they are relatively secure. I guess, again, nothing is perfect yet forever, but uh, they are relatively secure. Well, Judge Amy Coney Barrett's Supreme Court confirmation battle has played out in a bitterly divided Senate, but the outcome uh, has not really been in question for much of the fight. With few exceptions, Senate Republicans quickly lined up in support of Barrett after her nomination by President Donald Trump, and the judge is on track to be confirmed uh, despite opposition, in fact, was uh, confirmed, and largely along party lines. What are your thoughts on the outcome? Hmm. Well, I'm, not, I'm, not, well, I'm not enthused about the process. I mean, I, the, the one concern I have is that uh, if, if if the election goes to the Supreme Court at all, 
and she she's a deciding vote, that could be an explosive issue. That's one serious concern I have among a few others. But she'll have to make a judgment. She must, right or wrong. But uh, is there a deal to be made there by by not going forward with packing the court? Well, I think if you pack the court, you're uh, changing the complexion of the, both the Constitution and uh, democracy. It is anybody's play that. Well, the Constitution uh, doesn't I, say how many justices on the Supreme Court, and yeah, it no, has been different numbers, numbers over but, the years. It's been yeah. nine for a long time. But, yeah. uh, you know, is is there a... Uh, a deal to be made? Can uh, Democrats say, hey, look, we'll we'll take this, uh, you know, adding seats to the Supreme Court off the table if you just, you know, don't swing this. Recuse yourself. If you don't recuse yourself. That's the best yeah. way to do it, Jan. Well, yeah, then yeah. You, you're letting down the public who voted for this person. You know, you, you know, yeah, but you if a Supreme Court justice as smoothly as possible, and specifically Amy Coney Barrett says, you know what, I was just appointed by this president, I shouldn't participate in deciding whether he's right. elected or not, because it would okay. it would be like quid pro quo. I should right. recuse myself right. and let the the remaining five to four vote. And and yeah. it still may yeah. you know fall for Trump, yeah. although and you know that there, at that point who yeah. knows what Roberts would do. Well, yeah. that sounds there, intelligent. That was an intelligent statement. I'm sorry, but yeah. I don't know whether everybody was listening, Tom. But no, I agree. Thinking through yeah, that, and I agree. That's, that's what uh, and, and it was stabilized. It was stabilized. The whole judicial process and bring people back to. Uh, and I, I think people like Roberts would like to keep the court's reputation intact and not just yeah, have them yeah. be one more political football. In that in yeah. that vein, here's here's a parallel argument. You know, back in the 30s when FDR was losing in the court, he tried to pack the court and lost. Yeah. But then, right after he tried that, the court all of a sudden be, began finding some of his New Deal programs constitutional. That's <laughs> often called the switch in time to save nine. Ah. <laughs> he, he didn't he, he didn't pack the court. But when push came to shove, the court did start turning around and all of a sudden started ruling in his favor, the same judges he would have tried to replace. So, you know, the court is not immune to public opinion, so you can never predict that. But I uh, think that also happened uh, during the time of John Marshall and our first Supreme Court justice, and he turned it down. I feel like there's two elements to this. One of them is the damage that's been done by Mitch McConnell's shenanigans on all three of these court appointments. has It's just done so much damage to the relationship between the parties and to the, um, you know, I know that I know that they have the constitutional right, that the president does has the constitutional right and the, and the, has the consent responsibility, but the way that it's happened has been really uh, damaging. And that, that's my first point. My second point is, um, the the six three thing is really not reflective of where the country as a whole is right now. So I fear what I think is sad about this that court is going to have a perspective that is far 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 different from where you know seventy five percent of the country are right now. 
And so it's, I think it's just going to lead to some real rough going with some of the yeah. decisions we might make. And, and the contra- I think the contrast was greater because of exactly what, what they had done four years ago when, when Obama had an appointment what, nine or ten months early. They blocked uh-huh. that because, oh, it's too, it's, we've got to wait for the election. Now we have it's, one, what, six, six weeks early, and they go yeah. right ahead with it. It's possible. Yeah, but that, that's not set in stone. So, you know, oh, yeah, those no, who I, have the authority legally, legally, can do true. that. They, those who have the authority don't take that away if they're ruled by the majority. That's and, right. And uh, it doesn't have to be right, but it has to be in favor of most of the people. Well, I can I've, take that. I've been... Uh, because I don't have all the money that you guys have. I can take that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been suspecting that uh, Amy Coney Barrett is going to be much more a rule of law judge and yeah, an institutionalist than what maybe the president would like, um, and, oh, yeah. and certainly some of the uh, Republican leadership in the Senate. But um, we're going to get a, a a real quick audition on her because of the election results. Yeah. And then a week later, the uh, Affordable Care Act, they're going to start right. hearing uh, on the 10th of November, they're going to start hearing uh, oral arguments on the Affordable Care Act. So how how she votes and, and what she says and asks and does during those things, if she recuses herself from the election, um, you know, if she... Uh, you know, I, I'm just saying people were very surprised by how Roberts voted. Right. And yeah. they started out being surprised by some of uh, Kennedy's votes. Right. And and so right. I, I have a feeling that people are going to be surprised by Amy Coney Barrett. I think she's going to be, um, I mean, she's clearly from the conservative side of the aisle. But I think she's she's going to be a more professional jurist than uh, politics would uh, allow her to be portrayed as. Yeah, I think people are waiting to see how she does with Roe versus Wade. Uh, that's really... Well, that's, gonna, that's, that's the litmus test. And, uh, so um, that's going to be difficult because much those sides are cemented in their views and what they anticipate the court to do for them. This is going to take some real treading water for Coney Barrett. Uh, and very often judges you know. will evolve over time. They'll start out their first year yeah. or two with a certain ideological bent, and then as time goes by, they may shift. You've seen that happen in the past occasionally, so you never know. It's, 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 given her legal background, that's a possibility. Yes, well, and, and she's intelligent. She's uh, stable. She's all of the things that you want to see in a judge. And the way that group works, and this was kind of interesting. I was talking about this with um, uh, Michigan's uh, Supreme Court Chief Justice uh, Bridget McCormick this morning, um, that in our case we have seven justices. But all of their committee work is all seven, and they work together constantly. And and so they they really do work together. And and it was kind of in response to a question I asked her about coming from the left and having a a right majority on the Supreme Court, and they still picked her chief justice. And I think that surprised a lot of people. And I asked her yeah. about it, and she said, 
no, not really. It's kind of an administrative thing, and I, you know, I'm glad they thought I was up to it. Yeah, uh, most of the people who sit on the court do rotate through those cycles. Everybody does. She didn't seem to think Everybody it was a big deal that the other yeah, side no. rolled over and voted for her, and I thought that was kind yeah. of interesting. And I think and that's maybe fair. we'll see that a little bit at the federal level. We yeah. see a lot of five-four decisions, and you know that's that can be frustrating to a lot of people, especially if you're on the four side. But it's, um, but I, I, I don't think we're going to see all six-three. Anyway, we got to take a short break. We're going to come back with uh, my favorite part, the coveted X Files, when we return. Hey, hey. <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular 
doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody, as we uh, get into our final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics, my favorite part, The X-Files. And uh, yeah, we'll start out with a 26-year-old Florida man has been accused of stealing a bulldozer from a Florida construction site, driving it into a neighborhood, and knocking down campaign signs for Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, <laughs> according to authorities and homeowners. The man took the bulldozer in Haines City on Saturday and repeatedly destroyed Biden signs in full view of people who live in the neighborhood, witnesses said. James Blight was charged with grand theft, auto, and trespassing, according to the Haines City Police Department. Police said Blight claimed he was too drunk at the time to remember what happened. It was not immediately clear whether he has an attorney who could comment on his behalf. Do you think he has or will cast his vote for the president? <laughs> if, if he's sober, that, that would be a Republican. <laughs> well, let's see. Um, I guess the other issue is, is he going to go to the polls on a, on a, on a bulldozer? <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's a beetle that can withstand bird pecks, animal stomps, and even being rolled over by a Toyota Camry. Now scientists are studying what the bug's crush-resistant shell could teach them about designing stronger planes and buildings. This beetle is super tough, said Purdue University civil engineer Pablo Zavateri. 
uh, let's see, who was among a group of research that ran over the insect with a car as part of a new study. So how does the seemingly indestructible insect do it? The species, aptly named Diabolical Ironclad Beetle, owes its might to an unusual armor that is layered and pieced together like a jigsaw, according to the study. And uh, Zavarati and his colleagues published it in uh, Nature on Wednesday. And its design, they say, could help inspire more durable structures and vehicles. To understand what gives the inch-long beetle its strength, researchers first tested how much squishing it could take. The species, which can be found in Southern California woodlands, withstood compression of about 39,000 times its own weight. Wow. Do you think that uh, Volkswagen... You think the Volkswagen was onto something when they designed the Beetle? <laughs> Apparently so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, here's here's a weird one. Um, an obituary for a Minneapolis area woman who died at age 93 included one specific request for her mourners do not vote for donald trump georgia may atkins of inver grove heights died of a stroke on september 28th at united hospital in st paul a pair of obituaries published in the st paul pioneer press included details of how she wanted to be cremated and then honored with an october 16th church service under covid 19 protocols and she preferred that her friends and family not patronize a florist in lieu of flowers georgia preferred that you do not vote for trump her october 11th <laughs> obituary read uh the request made um made the rounds on social media attracting admiration from some and of course condemnation from others according to the pioneer press on facebook a grandchild amber westman joined in on one of the conversations and said her grandmother was fierce every day and remains so through her legacy do you think that uh, president trump might tweet about this <laughs> he could He'll probably complain about somebody in the cemetery voting. <laughs> and they probably find a whole bunch of ballots in there with his right. name on it. <laughs> well, anyway, that wraps it up for today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics. And I want to say thanks to uh, all of you. Um, Henry, thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you join us. Thank you. Henry Hatter on the right and a uh, longtime uh, Republican. We have uh, also Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. It's always a treat, Paul. Thank you so much. Always great to be here. And Jan, you add uh, so much soul to our roundtable. It's great to have you as well. <laughs> That's true. My pleasure. Yay. Where will we all be a week from today? Good luck to everybody on this last week. Thank you. That's right. That's right. Thank you. And Take I'm so vitamins. glad it's we'll be, the end. We'll be wondering when we're going to know who won. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that uh, that wraps it up. But we got to squeeze in one more thing here, and that's our Schlocktober pick of the day. We have Granny Clampett singing the blues. <laughs>
me and wonder what can that thing be? Is it fish or fowl, trout or owl, vegetable or human? Well, gals and guys, I'm going to put you wise. You're looking at a woman. <laughs> I can wash out 44 pairs of pants and have them hanging on the line. I can start to iron two dozen Levi's before you can count from one to nine. Scoop up a great big dipper full of schmaltz from the dripping can. Throw it in the skillet, go out and skin a rabbit and be back before it melts in the pan. Cause I'm a woman. W-O-M-A-N. I'll say it again. Now I can rub and scrub Jethro's boots until they're shining like a dime. Shuck the peas, shoe the fleas, and clean the outhouse at the same time. Get all dressed up. So 4 a.m. and then lay down at 5, jump up at 6, and start all over again. Because I'm a woman. W-O-M-A-N. I'll say it again. Now, if you come to me sickly, you know I'm going to make you well. And if you come to me all hexed up, you know I'm going to break the spell. And if you're hungry, you know I'm going to fill you full of grits. And if you're dry, I'll mix your corn liquor with sauerkraut juice. Ain't that a blitz? (laughs) That kind of a drink, you won't need a rocket to get to the moon. Because I'm a woman. W-O-M-A-N. I'll say it again. A greenback dollar bill from here to kingdom come. Tend the stills, pay my bills, and still end up with some. I got a $20 gold piece to prove what I just said. I can make a dress out of a feed bag, and I can make a man out of jail. Because I'm a woman. W-O-M-A-N. I'll say it again. Because I'm a woman. Your heart out, Jaja. <laughs> Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. That was uh, actor Irene Ryan, who played uh, Granny Clampett on the uh, old TV show, The Beverly Hillbillies. So that was Granny Clampett singing the blues, one of our uh, new offerings for Schlocktober 2020. She was the pick for today. And uh, we tried to fold in some new ones for this year, because this year is kind of special. Anyway... um, that's uh, If you don't know what Schlocktober is, that's where we play a different odd or horrible recording each day. You might like the artist, you might like the song, but the two of them together, maybe not so much. 
Anyway, I want to say thanks to uh, the candidates for the Supreme Court here in Michigan, Chief Justice uh, Bridget McCormick, and uh, also Attorney Elizabeth Welch for appearing on the uh, early part of the show. And, of course, my roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Janworth Nelson from East Village Magazine. Good night, everybody. The program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.